So uh, those of you who've already been to church know that this is Reformation Sunday. October 31st is when uh, Martin Luther put on the Wittenberg church walls the uh, 95 Theses, and the closest Sunday to that day is October 30, 29th, whatever Sunday it is. So we celebrate it on today. Um, and this week, if, you, if you've been to church already, you know, we have with us the people from Third Mill uh, who run an international ministry uh, that relates to teaching people the Bible and theology uh, using videos in, what did we hear last night, 24 languages or something like that. Um, and we celebrate that achievement today. It's kind of interesting because next week we're going to talk about the Bible and that was a decision the author made when I was writing the book uh, for the following reason. There's no question but what the Reformation was profoundly impacted by and even caused by the invention of the printing press. Because before the invention of the printing press, it was simply physically impossible for most people to even have a scripture to read. Today, we don't have that problem. I've got the scriptures on my iPad, my iPhone, my computer. I've got about five books, five Bibles in the house. Uh, they're all over the place. But there was a time in which people did not have the Bible. So in that context, what was really important was worship. Because it was in worship that they came together and they did hear the word of God, but they had the sacraments and they had prayers and they had liturgy and they had the experience of God. And of course, in that context, prayer, which is what we're going to do today, was more important because the first thing a person was told when they became a Christian wasn't go read the gospel according to John because they couldn't possibly do that. The first thing they were told was to learn to pray. Um, and so today we're going to talk about that and I, I want to say that I, you'll hear me say this, I think we've come to a new place in history. The Reformation was 500 and some years ago uh, and uh, the impact of the Reformation has now been felt throughout Western society for many years and of course we face opposition today. Um, but more important than that, what's been invented in the last 500 years that changes everything for us and our children. The internet and computers and the media. So for example, I don't think any of my children ever watch the evening news on television. I, I don't think they ever do. If they want to know anything, they take their phone out of their pocket and they flip to whatever channel they want to see it on and they just look at it and then they go away. And to be quite frank, that's what Kathy and I do. And People don't read newspapers anymore. Why? Well, because why would I read a newspaper that's reporting news that was yesterday when I can just flip on my phone and find out what just happened? Uh, and the church is impacted by this. And um, I think in the first two lessons we talked about this. One of the things that has changed is that all of us are more visual and more impacted by images than we used to be because we see them all the time, because we are impacted by images, often romantic images, all the time. And when I say romantic, I don't mean sexual images. I mean images designed to motivate me to want something. It could be a cigarette, a car, a woman. You just take your pick. Uh, 
So this morning, we're going to be talking about prayer, communication with God, okay? And so I am going to read what was told to the disciples. They came to him, according to Luke, and said, Lord, teach us to pray, okay? And in Matthew, it's recorded this was his response. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Lord God, we have a few minutes now to talk about your word in Scripture and the importance of prayer. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd be with us, that we might sense in our hearts your call to us to be a people of prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've called this week the inner life of the disciple. Um, prayer forms us internally. Our prayer life profoundly impacts over time who we are as a person internally and it is that vehicle by which we invite God into our lives so that God may transform us internally. Okay, so it's all, prayer is about our inner life and our communication with God, our connection with God so that we can become more like God. So, um, the beginning is prayer is that vital communication link that permits our relationship with God to grow and to deepen. Just like a relationship with a spouse continues to evolve and grow over time, we never reach the end of our prayer life growth. Our relationship with God grows, changes, and deepens as our walk with God deepens every day. Well, what we want to Think about this. What would a relationship with any human being be like if we never communicated? Supposing I go to the office every morning and I never talk to any of my coworkers. I think some people now are able to do that over the internet. <laughs> well, what happens if Kathy and I never have a conversation again? We don't talk about the children. We don't talk about the house. We don't talk about the church. We don't talk about the neighborhood. We don't talk about anything. We just live together and Inside the boundaries of a square box. Uh, how, how is our relationship going to be over time? Okay. Isolated. Isolated. Separated. And the very same thing is true of our relationship with God. If we don't pray, it doesn't matter how much we read. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses we memorize. It doesn't matter what good deeds we do. The fact is, we're not going to be in connection with God. We're just going to be living on our own energy power. And I can only speak for pastors. 
But, you know, most pastors have to teach at least once and usually two or three times a week. And it's really easy to get to the point where all you do is manage the church and get ready for sermons and teaching opportunities and never pray. And almost all pastors, if they're honest, will tell you they burn out when that happens. All of us burn out when that happens because we are not continually filling ourselves spiritually. And with that, I'm going to stop. Come on in. Yes, please do. Hello. Hi, everybody. Yeah, well, you're going to get some candy here before this is over, I feel pretty sure. Oh, my goodness. We certainly have a crew here. I'm sure they, I don't know how you're going to keep the boys from getting all of it at the front. But. Here, yeah, goodness gracious, we have a lot of children here. How many did you have? Did you count them? Good morning. Oh my goodness, I'm scared. Are these the bouncers here at the back? Oh, yeah. We're the caboose. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I'm gonna let it shine, shine all over the neighborhood. I'm gonna let it shine, shine all over the neighborhood. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Thank you for letting us come. Thank you. Thank you for letting us come. We have a, we have a sign for you, but I left it downstairs. I'll bring you. That's okay. A sign we made for y'all. Okay. You might want to help your husband. Must have about 50 or 60 kids in this room. Uh, yes, this is uh, three different the youngest are threes, I believe, and the oldest are. Sit, yeah, yeah, I'd say that's right.
Whoa, what a group. Okay. I guess we probably should. <laughs> Did anybody count them? I think it was about 60 kids, but I, I couldn't. So let's talk a little bit about prayer, okay? Because prayer is something that every Christian ought to be doing and frankly ought to be doing not just once in a while, but daily and often during any given day. In fact, you know, in the Eastern Church, some of you may have read the practice of the presence of God and books like that, the ideal was to get to the point where your life was a prayer. No matter what else you were doing, uh, silently and internally you were praying. So our ability to pray grows as our relationship with God grows. So that's the first principle I want to get out, that prayer flows out of a relationship and just like our marriages get better when we communicate and our businesses get better when people communicate, and our churches get better when people communicate. Our prayer life with God gets better when we communicate. So we grow spiritually, I think, as much by prayer as we do by reading our Bibles. Okay? Or you might think of it this way. Prayer is how what we learn objectively in the Bible becomes internal to our being. Okay? It's how it transforms us internally. Uh, so the second thing is for a lot of people, prayer does not come naturally. I happen to be one of those people. I happen to be one of those people. I was saved in a Bible study. Um, I was always very good at studying the Bible, always very good at preparing lessons for the Bible, outlining the Bible, figuring out what the Bible meant, but I was terrible at prayer. Uh, and uh, it did not come naturally to me. Maybe it doesn't come natural to you. That's fine. There are some people who are natural prayers. There's some people for whom it does come very naturally, uh, just like there's some people for which baseball comes naturally. Uh, and I may never be Mickey Mantle, but I can play some form of baseball. And the same thing is true of prayer. Uh, I may not be a great prayer warrior, as some people are, but I can pray. Everybody can pray. It's, it's, it's something we all can do. And the third one is prayer, as in any skill, practice makes perfect. So, I, you know, I'm kind of studious, and so I tell people, well, when I was a new Christian around 1977 or 8 or something like that, uh, I realized I didn't know how to pray, had a bad prayer life, so I bought a 390-page book on prayer that was written by a uh, very famous preacher of the mid-20th century, and I read the entire book, and how much better do you think I was at praying when I finished 390 pages about prayer? None. I was no better off than I was when I began. Why? Well, because I was so busy reading about prayer, I wasn't actually praying. Okay? 
<laughs> and so uh, prayer is something that don't worry if you're not a reader because it's really a skill. And like any skill, reading about it may improve you some, but the real improvement comes by doing it. So, you know, back to my favorite analogy, you can read all the books you want to about golf. You can read, I've read lots of books about golf. Uh, but your golf game never improves until you go out to the range and actually swing a golf club and practice what you've been reading about, ever. And in fact, if you don't do that, the fact will, is you'll eventually forget what you learned and your swing will be even worse than it was before because you'll always be trying to consciously uh, correct it. Uh, and the same thing is true of our prayer life. The more we pray, the better we get at praying, and the more unconscious it is, the better. The more we just do it, the better it is. Um, because it's a skill, it's not information. It's not a form of knowledge. Okay. So, um, you know, this series is really about how we minister to our culture. Okay. And uh, it's important to understand our culture. And so here's some things to know. Most people today don't grow up in a praying family. More than 50% of the people in America never go to church. And you can bet if they're never going to church, they're not praying daily at meals and other times. So children today are not learning to pray the way they used to learn to pray, which means that when they become adults, uh, they are not able to pray the way our parents probably were when they came to Christ in midlife because they grew up going to church. They grew up hearing prayers. They grew up with liturgies. They grew up with prayer, and so they knew what to do once they wanted to do it. But many people today don't even know what to do when they want to do it. So that's, that's a, a barrier uh, today. Uh, many people today, uh, most is might not be the right word, but many people today mature in what I would call a soulless world. That is to say they just believe everything's just matter and energy. And there is no God. And so praying is just sort of useless. It's just a psychological crutch for people who can't face reality. Uh, and uh, for them, prayer may seem impossible. There's no one listening. Uh, and foolish. It keeps me from doing other things. Uh, now, I want to tell you, in my opinion, the best response to that is they're observing the change prayer makes in the life of Christians. Seeing Christians pray and the the response it makes. Let's go back to our text for the day. The disciples saw Jesus. They saw what he was doing. They saw his life. They saw his prayer life. They saw that he went away alone to pray a lot. And they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So it was what they saw in Jesus that caused them to want to pray. So people should see in us something that causes them to say, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to know how to do this. Uh, we want to know how we can live lives that are more in tune with God. Uh, and even Christians can fight intimacy with God and others, and it hurts our prayer life. You know, we all go through dry spells, right? Uh, I go through dry spells. Every pastor I know goes through dry spells. Most of the people I know who are serious Christians go through dry spells. Dry spells occur in every spiritual life. There are always times when we feel like we're separated from God. And I hate to say it, but I used to be a runner too. In running, you, there was always this thing that what you have to do when you feel like you can't go any further is push on through it. 
That was always the run. Push, just keep pushing through and you'll go through the wall and then you'll be able to run. Well, that's true in our prayer life. I think that's a good thing to do is just keep praying in the soulless world that you're in for the time and push through it and you'll get to the other side. You know, some of you know that Mother Teresa apparently had a great spiritual experience in her 20s and formed this order and then for 35 years she felt alienated from God. But she never stopped praying. She never stopped praying. She never stopped serving. She just kind of pushed on through this dark night of the soul that went on for decades. Uh, and that can happen to us. There can be very long periods of time when we're praying for a child or a marriage or a business problem or something, and we just don't sense that there's any answer coming. Uh, and we have to be willing to sort of continue to go through that uh, as we face the, what every great saint ever fa faced. Okay, so most of what I know about prayer I learned by watching someone pray. Okay? I didn't learn it from a book. I've read a lot of books, but I didn't learn it from a book. Most of it I learned from watching someone else pray. When I was a new Christian, we had a, what was called the Friday Night Bible Study. That's where I came to Christ. And frankly, I learned to pray by every Friday night. We went into a room and we started out by singing and then we prayed and then we had a Bible study and then we prayed and then we went home. And so I listened to what people were saying and doing in the prayer group. And that's how I learned to pray. You know, I was just listening. And the two greatest changes in my prayer life were not caused by either being in seminary or by uh, reading books, but by being in a situation where I was with other people who knew a prayer skill that I did not possess and taught me how to do it by observing. Uh, so that we need to pray and we need to be willing to help others pray. And that means we do have to have some experience that we can share with them. Um, we can read about prayer, we can study prayer, but in the end we just have to pray. In the end we just have to pray. Okay, so many, probably everybody in this room knows this, there's a simple method that many new Christians are taught and we should all be able, I think, to teach a new Christian to do this. Uh, and that's called the Acts Method, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That is, we, we just worship God for a few minutes or a few seconds. We confess our sins to God. We give thanks for the blessings God has given to us. And we ask God for the things that we need and those around us need. How many of us, this was the first thing we learned to do? It happened to be the first method I ever learned. Yeah. First thing I ever learned was the Acts method. Uh, and it's simple. It's easy to learn. It's pretty easy to remember. And, uh, and, and it gives you a little guide to go by uh, in order to pray. And I think even today in my prayer life, if I am in a dry period, I sort of go back to that method. It's, it's you know, it's customary. Okay. okay. So, back to our text for a minute. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. At every important moment in Jesus' life, as recorded in the Gospels, he prays. He goes out in the wilderness to pray before he starts his ministry. He 
prays on the mountain before he turns his face towards Jerusalem. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray before he goes to the cross. At every great moment of change in Jesus' life, we see him praying. Uh, and so we know that he was a person of prayer. We know it impacted those around him to see that he was a person of prayer. And they ask him to teach them how to pray, and he responded. So this gets me to the second method. And in the little book that I've been writing, um, well, go, just to go back, John Calvin, when he writes on prayer in his institutes, just uses the Lord's Prayer as the outline. Uh, Luther did this Reformation Sunday, so it's appropriate we talk about Luther did the same thing. Um, and one of the methods to be used in teaching a person to pray is just to use the Lord's Prayer as your guide. Uh, and that's the second method I want to hold up for you today. Um, I wish I did it more often. Uh, I have a little morning devotional time, and it's got a set format. And quite frankly, if I'm traveling, I use the daily office from the Episcopal Book of Prayer because I've got it on my iPhone and I can do it without having anything else in front of me. Uh, and that's got the Lord's Prayer in it, and that reminds me to pray the Lord's Prayer. My daily devotional doesn't have that in it, and so I forget all the time. Um, okay, so the basics of the Lord's Prayer. What is the basics? First of all, Jesus says, direct your prayers to God. Secondly, pray from the heart and don't show off. He says, don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't be like the pagans. And don't babble. Um, so I, I like to say, I, I really, the longer I'm a pastor, the more sensitive I am to this. Sometimes, especially pastors, pray prayers that to me are really sermons. Uh, and, and prayer is not a sermon, okay? So God actually knows all the theology there is to know in the universe. So he does not need to be reminded that you are a God who hears prayers because he is the God who hears prayers. And so we don't need to inform God of who God is, okay? He, he's got it. Uh, but direct our prayers to God. And if I could say this, I think when you're helping a person pray, or, and even when you lead prayer in, in a class or worship, it's important to pray from the heart first and the mouth second. Does that make sense? It's important that your heart be centered toward the heart of God first, and then the words come, if you can capture that. Because... We want to direct ourselves to God who actually knows exactly what we're going to say before we say it, <laughs> okay? So it's not our words that get God's attention. It's us that sort of join with God who already has our attention. God's already listening to me. I just have to know that that's going on. And don't show off. Uh, this class is older, and we don't have to worry about that, but I can tell you among young, young people, um, it's really easy if you're verbal to begin to show off in your prayer, show people what a good pray prayer you are. That's a, that's a very bad habit to have. Uh, and I think all pastors have had to deal with that habit because we're usually okay at it. We do it all the time. Um, but it's showing off is um, not a good thing. And I, I tell people, I actually, when I pray in public, even in worship services, try not to be as verbally perfect as I could be because that's showing off, uh, and it's not a good idea. And resist babbling. Um, Kathy knows. Nothing, I, I, we've been in a lot of prayer graphs, but if somebody just kind of babbles on and on and on and on in a prayer, 
and says it over and over and over again. My attention span is pretty short anyway, and I kind of lose interest in the prayer. Um, God knows what we've asked of him the first time. He doesn't need to hear it 25 times in one prayer. He, he's got it. He's got it. Uh, and we don't need to babble, and we don't need to use a lot of words, okay? In fact, I think sometimes for most of us, the fewer the words we actually use, the better off we are spiritually. Um, so that we don't need to go on and on and on and on and on. And this is even true, we're not a charismatic, in the charismatic movement, I think you do hear babbling sometimes. I've been in a lot of rooms where I thought it was babbling. And on and on and on. We don't need to do that, and Jesus actually warns us against that. Okay, now, the Lord's Prayer as a model. So, if we look at this, and I could read it again for you, but I think I won't since it's 10 after already. Um, about half of the Lord's Prayer concerns my relationship with God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. About half of it concerns with our relationship with others. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses, as we give those who trespass against us. So about... Half of it is directed toward God and about half towards our needs. So we might take from that in our personal prayer life, perhaps about half of our prayers should be directed toward God and about half should be directed toward our needs. Maybe that's a, something to think about. And um, Kathy knows this. I, I keep... A, a prayer list, and it's very long. I've had four churches, so I've got lots of people I know to pray for. Um, and I often think that's a big, huge mistake that I do that every day because it just forces me to spend a long time petitioning God and very little time worshiping God. Um, and so I think you might say, say to yourself, I have a lot of needs, but I'm going to balance worshiping God in my prayer life with actually asking things of God. Does that make sense to everybody? It's a balancing act, I think. Um, so, God is a, our, let's start with the first part of it. Our Father who art in heaven. So, God is a holy God. As I said, it's good at the beginning to take time just to center ourselves in God. The, the scriptures tell us that God is everywhere. He is everywhere in his created universe by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's there before we recognize he's there. But taking time in our hearts to recognize that God is present with us is the first step, okay? And that's the Our Father who art in heaven. That's the taking time to join with God in God's presence. God came to bring his, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God into the world. So we first pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this is a time when we pray for all the distortions in the world. Um, think about, well, we're all concerned, I think, about the war in the middle. War is always a distortion. I mean, God is a God of peace. He doesn't want war. And so war is always a distortion. Uh, this morning, my quiet time was in Proverbs 29. And um, that happens to be full of God hates governments that are dishonest and tricky. Well, I think in our country we could just sort of pray for that. Thy kingdom come in Washington, D.C. Because it would appear to me that Washington is somehow disconnected from the kingdom of God. Um, we pray that all the distortions we're worried about would be healed. And we pray it in a way knowing that 
some of the distortions that we're worried about, we actually caused. <laughs> we're actually part of the problem with God's kingdom coming into the world, uh, whatever we are or do. And so we pray that God would take away those distortions. Uh, we pray for our personal needs and we pray for ourselves and our loved ones. Uh, we all have personal needs that are private to us that we would wish God would help us with. We all have families and loved ones that we are concerned about. Um, I don't know about you all, but I used to just be concerned about my children. I thought, well, it'd be great when they're raised and I won't have to be worried about that anymore. Uh, and then that, that didn't happen, okay? That didn't happen. I continue to worry about them probably as much as I did when they were teenagers. And on top of that, we've got five grandchildren now that I'm worried about their future. And, and I have a lot less power to impact the future of those grandchildren than I had the children. Uh, so we need to pray for our loved ones. And that's a project that really never ends. In fact, I think it just gets greater and greater as time goes by uh, during the course of our lives. Uh, we pray for the power to forgive others. Uh, an unforgiving heart is not a praying heart. That's a big line there. An unforgiving heart is not a praying heart. And you now I do like to share personally sometimes, you know, I was always a pretty forgiving person. And when people cheated me in business or I had problems, betrayals and what have you, I, I found it easy to forgive people. And then I turned 50 and I realized that in this world, not all these wrongs were going to get righted. And all of a sudden I became an unforgiving person. <laughs> it occurred to me that this idea of forgiveness only works if you're going to get the benefit in this life. But if you're not going to get the benefit in this life, well, maybe you shouldn't be so forgiving. And that's just not right. <laughs> that's not right. Um, I think at our age, sometimes it's harder to forgive people because we know in our hearts that some of the wrongs done to us will not be righted. Okay? So we're not going to see the justice of God in this world. <laughs> and that forgiveness, when you understand that we're not going to see the justice of it, I'm not going to see the benefit physically. I will see it, I think, in heaven. Uh, and, and go ahead and forgive people even though we know that this wrong may not be righted in this world. Uh, that's hard. But Jesus tells us that if we don't forgive others, then he's not listening as hard to our prayers. Now, he is listening. But he means by that, that hardness in my heart is a barrier to God's work. And I have to live with that barrier if I'm not willing to erase that barrier by forgiving people. Okay. Hey, we're doing fine. Um, you know, uh, this, kind of back to the purpose of the study. The churches of the Northern Hemisphere, because we have been so rich. You know, until you travel to third world countries, you have just no idea how rich our churches really are. Even some of the ones we regard as poor. Uh, my little church in Brownsville, Tennessee that I started out with, which had a budget of, say, $130,000 a year, uh, is infinitely richer than some of the churches I've seen in Africa. <laughs> infinitely richer. Um, last night we were talking about how many pastors in Mexico have to work full-time. They travel hours to get to the church that they serve on Sunday morning. Uh, they have no education. They're just doing this on a shoestring. Uh, we're lucky in the Northern Hemisphere. We've relied upon, however, the cultural support that is, we relied upon the fact that we thought the culture was Christian. 
We've relied on the, our own financial influence. We've massively relied on advertising. We have, in, especially in churches like this one and other large affluent churches, we've relied on charismatic leadership. We've relied on having this great senior pastor and a host of human programs. Uh, one of the things I fight all the time is big churches, and I was a pastor of one, we all have lots of programs and we trust that those programs are going to bring people to Christ. And here's what I've learned in my old age. No program brings anyone to Christ. It just creates a situation in which the Holy Spirit might work. But the program never brought anybody to Christ. Some of us are in Alpha right now on Wednesday nights. Alpha doesn't bring anyone to Christ. It's just a vehicle to create an atmosphere and a place where a person that doesn't know Christ might find Christ. But it's the Holy Spirit that brings people to Christ. Um, so we've relied on these rather than the Spirit of God. Rather than the Spirit of God. We've not trusted the Spirit of God and therefore we've not prayed and therefore we've not received answers to our prayers. Um, now, here's what I truly think. In the area we are entering, none of those things are going to enable us to survive. In the area we are entering, none of the things we've relied upon in the past are going to enable us to survive and prosper without prayer until the kind of deep faith that prayer produces changes us. Until then, there will be a crisis of discipleship. I actually don't think that the crisis we face in discipleship is a crisis of Bible study. I don't think that. I don't think it's a crisis of theology. I don't think that. I think it's a crisis of prayer, of real faith and trusting in God to change our world. Uh, uh, and I think, uh, I, I hate to say it, but um, I'll just tell you what my denomination thinks. And once again, I feel so blessed, and we should all feel blessed at First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We're in a very affluent church. The average church in America is declining in numbers dramatically. My friends that have churches of, say, in the 300 range lost maybe 20% of that 300 in uh, COVID. And... That means they can't pay the staff they once had. That means they can't do the programming they once did. They're not like us. They don't have that cushion <laughs> to rely on. And my denomination believes that in the next 20 years, many more than half of our churches will not be able to financially support a pastor without that pastor working and will not be able to sustain the kind of programming they've been accustomed to. And they're telling the pastors that. They're, these small churches, they're telling us that, that you know, just know the future is going to be different. Now, that's bad news, I think. But here's the good news. You know, like I told you about these African churches. So, when I was in Africa, we used to stay at a place called Abitifi, which is the highest point in Ghana. Ghana's pretty low. And the reason Abitifi got formed as a campground for churches is because in the 19th century, in the 20, early 20th century, the missionaries didn't die of malaria up there. So they formed a campground up there, and most of the missionaries went up there because they died everywhere else. Literally, they brought their coffins with them. Literally. And I have seen graveyards of missionaries. They lived maybe, they and their children, I, I, I can't even imagine that. They and their children lived maybe three months before they got malaria and went. Well, um, in that little place, 
uh, I was usually put in a little house at the edge, uh, which was called the missionary house, and it had an extra bedroom. There was a couple that lived there, but I had this little bedroom there, and um, everybody else had to stay in the kind of the hotel accommodation, which was not as great. Um, and in the morning, you would just hear these women singing at the church across the wall. Beautiful singing. I, I, when I close my eyes, I can hear it even today, and I hadn't been there in 12 years or something. Uh, and when you went in their churches, they were alive. <laughs> and they were dancing. and they, have a, they were full of the Holy Spirit. And they didn't have enough money to do anything. Uh, money isn't necessary to have a great church. <laughs> you know, And I think God is as pleased by a little 15-person church in the Yucatan of Mexico with a pastor that's barely literate and has barely had any education at all as he is pleased by what we do on Sunday morning. He's pleased by both of those things. So when we think about our future, of course we want to avoid what I just said if we can avoid it. None of us wants to be poor, right? Uh, on the other hand, if that's where God places us, we will survive as long as we pray. That's kind of where I wanted to leave us today. That's we will survive so long as we pray. Um, so, yes. So that's, that takes four to two, four to three. So you're down by, down by one thing to memorize. Thank you for doing that. Any other questions? Any questions? Yes, sir. Was the word. I think, uh, by the way, you can read the 95 Theses on your computer today. It's very easy to get multiple copies of it. You know, you bring up an interesting thing, and maybe it's something to say to this group because we're all of an age. Kathy knows I'm really old fashioned, really. And, and I really don't make any apology for it anymore. I used to, but I don't anymore. Um, because it's just who I am. Uh, but when you're old-fashioned and when you're older, sometimes you resist change. Uh, and uh, this change we've made from a culture that's literary to a culture that's visual strikes me as negative a lot of the time. Okay? But 
it's where we are, and we cannot, just like few of us would like to go back before the Gutenberg Bible, right? We would not want to go back there. So basically, we may look back in 500 years and think this is not all bad. And when the change comes to our churches, uh, we need to be willing to sort of roll with it a little bit. And I'll give you an example that comes from my former church. Um, we had hymnals at the 9 o'clock service, uh, and we sang hymns. We had contemporary music at the 11 o'clock service, and we sang contemporary songs. We, had, we were very fortunate to have one music leader who had a Ph.D. in music and wrote music. He was trained uh, as a, a classical musician, but he was a rock star. And so uh, he led all the music, both traditional and contemporary. And one day, David decided we didn't really need hymnals anymore. We had the screen, and uh, we would just project the hymns on the screen. And personally, I thought that's a good idea. We, we won't have to buy new hymnals, and it'll be great. And plus, that frees you from being connected to any hymnal. You can sing from anything that you've got a license to sing. Well, we got a lot of pushback from the old people. I mean a lot of pushback. We got a lot of pushback from the old people, and we got pushed back from the session, and my habit was, oh, let's just try it out, and if it doesn't work, we'll just go back, you know, to what we were doing before. So the first week, lots of complaints. Second week, almost no complaints. Third week, not any complaints. Guess why? Because older eyes can actually read the, the, the lyrics better on the screen than in the hymnal, especially in our sanctuary, because I can't explain it to you, but it had a, a high ceiling, and the light was really focused about eight feet above the ground, and those hymnals are about four feet above the ground, and so it was darker than it needed to be at hand level. And so uh, we found out, and then whenever we couldn't do it, because there were, you know, sometimes the system would go down and we'd have to use the hymnals, et cetera, we would get complaints that we didn't have it on the screen. <laughs> uh, and so I think we need to kind of go with the flow a little bit. I could say this, um, kind of the, the church is going to change in the 21st century. We can't stop that, really. Uh, some of it we aren't going to think is for the good. There's plenty of it I don't think is for the good. Uh, but in retrospect, I may look back and say, you know, Chris, you were wrong. It was for the good. You just didn't see it. <laughs> uh, and um, so I, I urge that. I think that's part of what we all need to sort of get out of the Reformation Sunday. God isn't finished reforming the church accordance with the word of God. He's working in history wherever history is. Uh, so he's, he's here today working in our culture. Other questions? Yeah. I don't know if I can make a statement. Um, there's been a lot of prayer warriors in this church, but two that really stand out is Mrs. Charles Orsinger, who was known affectionately as Sissy, and Sissy Orsinger was in prayer, I think, 24-7. She's very well known for her prayers. And when she departed and graduated from us, she left a very significant request for the saying of prayer here in our church, which I'm sure is probably used to this day for teaching prayer. The second person is Reverend Ed Walthall. He always had beautiful prayers during the service, and he was asked so many times for copies of his prayers that he eventually published two small booklets of his prayer. Oh, I'd love uh, to see that.
really stood out uh, during the time of my uh, activity. Activity here. So I can tell you, Mrs. Orsinger's um, gift remains in place. It funds all the prayer training that you will be you're invited to almost twice a year to prayer training. Uh, it also this initiative that some of you know about to have this pray, the praying life books that were handed out this year. Some of you may have picked those up. That was funded by Mrs. Orsinger's gift. Um, so that that lady's life continues to impact our congregation in a powerful way. get it and you know you might that's a you might think of it this way about our prayer life our constant prayers every day we don't have this feeling oh my gosh I'm you know God has spoken to me today I must go to Israel uh, a lot of the time we're just praying but it creates the opportunity in your life for that aha moment so all those days of praying when you don't really hear much isn't wasted just like that professor's teaching uh, and I think we all have had that experience I've been in classes I'm I'm 50 years we had our 50th anniversary Lisi and I yesterday from Trinity um, there are some classes I don't remember at all and there's some classes I only remember one thing the professor said but that one thing might have changed my life so not to worry about the days we don't hear a lot from God just know God's going to one day give us what we need to know Thank you. That was a great, great comment. Anything else? So I'm supposed to, yeah. So who are, who, who's the our youngest daughter? Okay. So uh, this is Melanie, our youngest. This is our son, Adam, or sometimes called Trammell. Uh, this is his son, Eden. This is Yael, his wife, who is Israeli. This is Clara, our daughter, and her husband Michael, and they now have two children and one on the way that aren't in this picture. Uh, I need to get a new picture and put it in. Uh, this is someone you know, and that's someone you know. This is Hillary, our oldest, and her husband David Beebe. What? And they now have a little girl, Morella. And for those of you who don't know, David, if you, David was, is a musician and was actually a professional musician in Houston and other places during the day. And a Morella is how the Spanish do do re mi. <laughs> so it's a, uh, both a name and sort of musical. So that's that. So thank, yes, sir. One last announcement. Oh. Everybody go get some candy on the way out. Thank you. Cause And I'm supposed to encourage you to do this, and I, I know it's a little uh, hard, 
tonight at 6.30, there's going to be a special worship service. Uh, we've done this several times, but other churches are invited to this worship service, particularly AAC downtown, which is a new church plant we support. Uh, the, our guest for the weekend is going to be preaching, so Richard Pratt's going to be speaking at that event. Uh, and Mitchell, every time I see Mitchell, he says, be sure to come, be sure to tell everybody you know to come. Uh, and so please think about coming to that event tonight uh, because it, it, I think Kathy told me today it'll be a one-hour service. Uh, so you should be out by 7.30 uh, or so, home by 8 for sure. Uh, so think about doing that if you have the opportunity to come tonight. Um, next week, you're going to have, we're really within three weeks of the end now. Uh, next week, Ron is going to teach on Bible study. And that does have some practical tips for leading a person in a Bible study. The following week, we're going to talk about Christian action. And then on the 19th, I'm going to wrap it up. And we're going to go back to Dietrich Bonhoeffer for the wrap-up. But it's, again, about how do we minister in a culture that's forgotten God. So it, it sort of wraps up all that we've learned over the last 15 weeks. So um, that's where we're... Yes? What is next week? Next week is the Bible. So we, the next three are the Bible, prayer, and Christian action. So this is the three tables of discipleship, the three stool pins of discipleship for the next three weeks that we're going to be talking about. So we're moving into a very practical, today was practical, I hope you thought that, uh, and next week will be practical and the following week will be practical about how to put our faith to work. And actually there are tips in the chapter about how to lead a Bible study. I don't know what Ron will do, I don't force him to do anything, but, um, but yes there are tips how to lead a Bible study. Um, I want to just encourage you all if I can. You know, honestly, leading a class isn't that hard. People fear it. But there really are three questions that any Bible study can have. What did Jesus say? What did you hear? And what do you intend to do about it? And I guarantee you, people can talk for 30 minutes about those three questions. <laughs> uh, so uh, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to lead a good Bible study. With that, let's pray. Lord Jesus... Uh, we thank you so much for this time we've had together as a class. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the Reformation. Uh, we thank you for what I feel will be an opportunity to sing a mighty fortress is our God, I hope. And uh, we thank you for the chances we have to learn from your word. We thank you for Calvin and for Luther and for those who led the Reformation. We ask that you would give us the same love of you that they had. We pray, Lord, that you would be with this church as it ministers in San Antonio, Texas uh, to a different generation in a strange world, a world we would never have expected when we were young. Uh, and allow us to find ways to love people and minister your grace here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.